and in anticipation of this episode, I consume them like a friggin' crackhead. I I don't know where I found the time, and only in the last two episodes did I realize you could speed up a YouTube video. <laughs> Welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts about an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That's right. That is Kate Griffin. And that's Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I'm a songwriter, and this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. Yes, and today we're going to be discussing the band's eighth studio album, Sonic Highways, and we're joined by a very special guest, filmmaker and co-host of the FN Nerds podcast and longtime Foo fan, Nick Denizio. Denizio? Denizio. Denizio. It's close. God it's close. Like, like, like I said, a lot of vowels, very Denizio. Italian. I should know better. I'm from New Jersey. I should know how to say this. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was All close. Right. We'll yeah. allow it. Um, Nick, are you, so you are a longtime Foo fan. What, what's your favorite Foo album? Like, what's your history with loving the band? Um, so a lot of my history comes from growing up with the band. Uh, I have to attribute to my dad who introduced me when I was really young, um, along with, you know, bands like Alice in Chains, uh, Nirvana, obviously a lot of that stuff, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Soundgarden was really into all that kind of music. But Foo Fighters was the one that really stuck with me, probably because they had some of the most uh, creative music videos. Mm, you know, li- yep. th- thinking of Learn to Fly or Everlong, like those those videos still stick with me, you know, today. And, and I absolutely love it. I think Dave Grohl's hilarious. I don't know why the guy never broke, in, broke into movies. Cause I think he's one of the most creative people out there. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it, it was just, just from from that and like loving rock as a kid and for some reason Foo Fighters just always stuck with me they were the band that just was always at my top and to this day this they're still my favorite rock band that's awesome have you seen their movie I haven't the it was <laughs> studio 666 yeah 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 you mentioned that Dave should get into films yes uh, I, I, know I agree he did that. Uh, even though it's oh. it's, it's bad, it's yeah, not right. a good movie. I think it's supposed to be bad, though, right? It's supposed to be bad. Yeah. So I think in that way, it really hit the mark. But like, he's not a bad actor. Like he was, yeah. at, but he was also like being Dave Grohl. So right, like, it's hard to gauge. But tis the season. It, it is the season, yeah. But even just in his music videos, I just think that he's very. He's got good comedic timing. Yeah, I know he had a really small part in uh, the Tenacious D movie. He played the devil. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which was hilarious. But but yeah. I never really made that. It totally makes sense now, actually, because I know that you make movies and you're into movies. And for whatever yeah. reason, that literally never occurred to me that you like right. them because of the videos. Yes, and we've yeah. discussed like what a big part of their career the videos are. And I just. Yes, absolutely. Right now I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. Yeah. 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 I think they were like one of maybe the the first videos that I've seen where they really were trying to make narrative videos, mm-hmm. but that yeah. were like funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that, I think that was a thing that widely happened, maybe because of how well they do it. I don't know. That's true. Yeah. Well, and then even uh, off of um, uh, Wasting Light Walk, uh, the music video for that is actually based on a Michael Douglas movie from the '90s. It's called oh, uh, cool. Falling Down. So if you if you look up the movie and you and you watch the music video for Walk, you can see where the parallels are. That's cool. That yeah. is cool. Go go, Dave Grohl. Yeah. Yeah, now he's getting artsy. <laughs> so, Kate, what can you tell us about Sonic Highways? What's the tea? All right. So, uh, at this point, the Foo Fighters have been a band for 20 years. Jesus. And in one of the documentaries, which we'll talk about in a second, one of the episodes, uh, Dave says, We spend a day here and there, and we never get a feel for the places that we're in or what they have to offer. So, they, they've been touring a ton. They're familiar with a lot of these cities. They've revisited them a bunch. And for their 20th anniversary, they decided to make the creative process new again. So the idea behind the album was that the environment in which you are in ultimately influences the end result. So he was talking about like the studio, the people, the history of the place that they were in. Uh, and so the goal was to have the listeners have a stronger connection with each individual song. And so to do this, they visited eight different cities. They recorded basically one song per week. And normally they would record all drums first and then guitars. But Chris Shiplett was quoted at one point saying that he felt like this felt more like a team 
effort, which I thought was really interesting. So he seemed to really enjoy this process. Um, and then, of course, the process was filmed for a companion television series, Foo Fighter Sonic Highways. It was on HBO in the months surrounding the album's release. And in anticipation of this episode, I consumed them like a friggin' crackhead. I... <laughs> I don't know where I found the time, and only in the last two episodes did I realize you could speed up a YouTube video. So I was watching them. <laughs> on 1.5? 1.5? Like, well, I started at 1.5, and then, like, in the middle, I would bump it up to 2, because I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. But uh, <laughs> I've seen them all, so. Okay. Yeah. You did a lot better than me. I only got I only got through one, so. Okay. <laughs> I got Great. through two, and I, I just don't think they were that well made, so I was like, I can't watch this. Really? See, here's... I actually think they wow. were very well made, but yeah. I was telling Nick at work that what I was very, I don't want to say disappointed, but as far as the podcast goes, you know, 5% of the entire episode is them recording and talking about recording. It's mostly a history podcast. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. a history documentary. And it was, I think it was well done. It was good. It was very informative. And I have some final notes about how I think that affected my listening journey here, but um, definitely worth watching. Not necessary for what we're doing here. I don't think it's necessary. I think the only thing that you need to know for this album is the idea behind the documentary and the album is to record everything in different cities. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. every song was recorded in a different city in a different studio, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And thus ties in the entire documentary. But I don't need to watch Foo Fighters record an album in like eight, nine episodes or however many it was. Like one is enough. Yeah. I mean, it certainly felt like uh, an opportunity for them. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think also because it's their their 20th, I guess, anniversary, it was meant to be them, like you said, trying to find the creative process. So it's like you get a little bit of the history and then you get a nice dose of the Foo Fighters through that creative process. So I could could see where, you know, it could be like, you know, just focus on one or the other. But I think think for me, uh, I love the concept. I love the concept. I love the execution. And I think just as like a music documentary, it's like, it's up there for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. It was very cool. But um, not, not total. It was extra reading, if you will. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, it was extra it's, like home, it's, it's homework. It's yeah. homework, basically. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. you get gold stars, Kate. Good for you. Always. Listen, <laughs> this is why I'm an anxious adult. That's fine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So uh, Sonic Highways was released November 10th of 2014 on the band's own label, Roswell, via RCA. Uh, and Kate went into the history, so we don't, I don't have much to add. Just that they recorded them in different cities, and that's the whole idea behind the album so let's jump into it track one something from nothing uh produced by the Foo fighters and butch fig okay so this was the first single october 16th 2014 it features rick nielsen who's an american musician singer songwriter best known as the lead guitarist primary songwriter and leader of the american rock band cheap trick it was recorded in steve albini's electric audio studio in chicago so that's where they were for this one at that studio bands like the pixies uh Google Bardello, The Breeders, PJ Harvey, Bush, Nirvana, they've all recorded there. In the documentary, they kind of go into the, the the people who run these studios, and Steve was described as a cynical prick, which I thought was really he interesting. He's widely known as being a cynical yeah. prick, yes. But... Towards the end, I don't know if you made it that far, Gabby, he doesn't take any royalties for yes. any of the bands he records. And I thought that was incredible. Yes. I think it's stupid, but go off. Well, I mean, yeah. Incredible as in, like, <laughs> noble guess, and like, admirable. Like, like, like morally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not for me, personally. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I was very impressed. Um, but anyway, it was in the documentary, they go into how Chicago's important to Dave. If you read his uh, memoir, you know that he saw his first punk show there. Um, so there's a lot of history for him. Um, all right. So then as far as the actual song, uh, I really like that it starts with the quiet guitar. They've got this kind of bullhorn effect on the vocal, which is cool. I like that we don't have to wait very long for the band to come in uh, on the verse. I think they come like halfway through the first verse. Pre-chorus has like a creepy climbing element to it, which I thought was cool. But they completely lost me at this chorus. I was kind of like, I don't know what the heck is happening here. What I noted was, we've said in the past how they're really good at taking two different sounds and making them fit, and I don't feel like this one fit at all. It it was very confusing to me. I do like where it goes around the three-minute mark. It kind of gets dark and heavy uh, musically. Some of the standout lyrics that I pulled were, but in the end, we all come from what's come before. I threw it all away because I had to be what never was. And so... 
The lyrics for this are basically inspired by Buddy Guy's story, how he came up from the South and he had nothing and he made his life as a musician in Chicago. So some of the like some of the lyrics, if you really pull them apart, it speaks to that really well. Um, I think Dave does a good job throughout of taking these specific lyrics and these stories and writing a song that also feels relatable. So I thought that was interesting. Overall, I like the song, but the chorus is just like a weirdo to me. It, I didn't know where we were headed after this. I was like, this might be bad. I don't know. <laughs> See, this is probably my favorite song off the album. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, you know, and it's because it's because of that, like around that three minute mark when, you know, the drums get really heavy, yes. the big guitar riffs sort of come into play. Dave is just yelling. And then to me, that's like, this is like classic, like Foo Fighters for me. Totally. You know, it's a great gym song too. It's a song I lift to oh, all the nice. time. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. And, ju- and just that, that idea of, like, the, just the basic lyrics, something from nothing. Yes. I think, like, if you just, if you want to just get even just a little cheesy about it, I think there's something inspiring about that. And just going into it, regardless of wherever you pull from in your life, I think everyone can kind of get behind that idea of making yourself something no matter where you came from. So... For sure. And I can see why that yeah. would make it a good uh, gym song. Yeah, for sure. it's definitely for sure. in the good gym song ca- category. But I, I'm with Kate. I I liked it. I was like, okay, we're coming out of the gate with something that's like pretty rocking. I, uh, a lot of the times I equate a lot of what this band does to like a Guitar Hero song. Sure. <laughs> and this yeah. is a total, I was like, a Guitar Hero. Like I yeah. see it being in the game. It sounded though like unfamiliar territory i don't think it sounds like classic foo fighters it felt like they were putting something together and then i will elaborate on this as we go through this track list sure but something is afoot oh (laughs) and i will tell you and this is the beginning this is the beginning of me figuring out what's afoot and then by like track three i've got it nailed down oh and wow gonna blow your mind. i'm excited i'm excited That's okay. early okay yeah yeah i'm so excited well i was gonna say too because like this could be something that you that we'll go through like the whole album with and you you guys will probably have a better understanding when it comes to, like the lyrical side of it i think that this this whole album i think is a mixed bag when it comes to the lyrics and like the writing yeah because of the concept that is very ambitious, but I think they're also a slave to it because of the idea of going to each city, hearing stories, and even pulling specific lines from interviews and putting it into the song. Yes, like like I, I like I love the ambition, and I'm always going to champion that. But you know, like I said, being a slave to it, you, they're sort of putting themselves in this box and yes. they're checking things off. And creatively, I think that also like shrinks you down. I a think bit it too. limited them a lot. I totally yeah. agree. Ah, I totally agree. I can't wait yeah. to tell you guys my theory. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Track two. Uh, the Feast and the Famine, same credits. Um, and I know we have a new, I think there's a new featured musician on this one. Yes, yes. Right? Who do we got? Well, this was the second single, October 24th, 2014. And the features were Peter Stahl. He's the um, mus- American musician and frontman of Scream. Remember Scream? Yeah. One of Dave's first bands. And uh, Skeeter Thompson, who is the bassist for Scream. So yes. I, that must have been very nice for him. To, reunion. To, re- reunion. Yeah, reunion. Yeah. Uh, it was recorded at Inner Ear Studio in Arlington, Virginia, which is basically D.C. area. Don Zinatara is the producer there, and Dave credits him with basically producing the soundtrack of his youth. That's what he says in the documentary. Okay. He recorded a lot of bands in the D.C. punk scene, Minor Threat, Bad Brains, Fugazi, The Teen Idols. What I liked about this song is it starts off really punky i feel like this very much embodies a lot of what the documentary is talking about in terms of the dc punk scene i really love that the band doesn't kick in until the first chorus because it makes it feel super huge i like the energy and the melody of the chorus i just wish it was like more meaningful or meatier in terms of lyrics it got a little dry for me in the chorus it definitely lacks that but to uh nick's point some of the lines that he specifically references, um, one of them he says, wreck your brains, where's the PMA? He screams that at the end of one line. And Bad Brains, he's referring to the punk band Bad Brains, and they had um, PMA, which is positive mental attitude. It was like a movement that they had as part of their scene. So that's if you know it, it's kind of cool. Otherwise, it kind of sounds like gibberish, like you don't really know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. And lyrically, uh, I do really like how he was able to get that juxtaposition of like the haves and the have-nots in D.C. at the time. And then one of the lyrics that I uh, pulled, because it was a time in the documentary, he goes into how it was a time of social change led by punk activists. So one of the lyrics I liked was uh, crossroads with nothing to lose out of the basement and into the news. Come change. Now shit is getting heavy. Salvation at the ready. 
So I just kind of thought that was like anyone who's been in a band, you've been in the basement, like you've done that whole thing. And now like you're the catalyst for change. I thought it was really cool. So overall, I like this one a lot. I think he does a very good job of tying that all in in a more natural way. Nick, what'd you think? Yeah, I would also agree. I think this is one of the songs where they really nailed like that concept of going into the city, learning the history, interviewing people, and then making a song out of it. I think it really, it really hits hard. And then, yeah, like the, the song just has like this big, like punk rock type of energy to it. And like, it just, you know, for like four minutes, it's constantly moving, you know, mm-hmm. it, to me, it, to me, I never got bored listening to it. And then even like, as it's ending the last 20 seconds, it just keeps building, 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 building. It's almost like it sprints through to the finish line. And I, I love it for that. Yeah. I love this song. Oh, Out great. the gate, I was like, yeah. this is not pizza, not famine. Like, I listened to it four <laughs> times today while walking the dog. I was like, this song is great. It gave me a lot of Queen vibes. I I feel like oh, a lot of this album is kind of, like, he's obviously pulling from these cities, but there's something about it that is, like, 70s, 80s rock-ish. That okay. is not, nece- I wouldn't necessarily associate it all with Bad Brains and the scene in the DC music scene. Right. I got huge Queen vibes. At the end, there's, like, a part where he shouts, is anybody there? And it's, like, echoey. And I was just okay. like, that's really yeah. fucking theatrical. And that is not DC punk at yeah. all. Okay. I have a theater note for a song oh, coming up. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was my reveal, Kate Griffin. This album is a music. It is a rock opera. You cannot tell me anything else. It is an opera. Every single song is like okay. I, I think I need to re- I need I need to re-listen to it now with that, with that in the in back my, of my yeah. head. Yeah, it's a rock opera. Once I heard Queen in this song, I like it just went off the rails for me. Every other track, I was like, "What is this?" Like, I don't even think that they knew that that's what they made, but they made a rock opera. Wow. And especially like what you told me, which I didn't know, which is they were pulling quotes from like other musicians in lines. Like it's a fucking opera. It's, it's, I mean, that's how you write a musical. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's how you, and that's why it's difficult. It's so hard to do. I think that they did it unintentionally. Buy your tickets now. This is going to come to Broadway. I'm going. (laughs) Sonic Highway. Oh, I'm going. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Track three, Congregation. Uh, This was the third single, October 31st. uh, Spooky. 2014. It's featuring Zach Brown of the Zach Brown Band. Uh, He's an American musician. Country. What's that? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, well, cool. I mean, it's recorded at his studio, Southern Ground Studio in Nashville. It's owned See, by Zach Brown. I didn't get to episode three. It's a good one. That one's pretty good. <laughs> it Some is a of good them one, were yeah. not as good. That one was good. Some musicians that have recorded there, Willie Nelson, Eric Clapton, Steve Earle, Emmylou Harris, uh, Neil Young. So very important location. As far as the song, I really love this song which kind of surprised me i think it's super catchy and melodic but in a weird way it's still very much the foo fighters i think the verses are just as strong as the choruses i actually almost prefer the melody to them a little bit more the bass is doing some really great stuff there nothing like out of this world but it's just very noticeable to me and he's kind of tying everything together it doesn't really feel like a country song until you get to the instrumental section and even then it's not like overly country so i think it's just like a nice little nod lyrically it touches on so many this one was very documentary heavy it touches on a lot of different things they speak about mainly about how nashville is about songwriting and it's a a, like a business you know what i mean um and one of the lyrics i pulled was the voice up on the stage is the heart inside the cage and they're singing like a bluebird in the round so the bluebird he's referring to the bluebird cafe which is like a rite of passage for a lot of up-and-coming musicians and the idea of congregation the studio they were in was a church and throughout this section of the documentary they talk about how important the church was just in terms of people coming together uh and gabby knows like i'm pretty anti-religion when it comes to my music like i don't really like that (laughs) but when he sings it i'm not thinking church i'm thinking congregation in terms of like these are my people like whether it's the punk people or the indie people like just my people so i really like this one i was surprised with how much i did yeah i I would also i would also agree and and you kind of hit all the points i was going to make too just about (laughs) no no it's all good just about the idea of of, you know, how Nashville, you know, it's a big country music scene and how, like, at, at the time they came, all came together in a church. But just the the idea of, like, a congregation itself, just a lot of people coming together to do what they love. Sure. You know, you know not even just taking the religion part of it out. But, but yeah, and then it's funny how you said um, where it starts to sound a little country in the instrumentals, and that's probably where Zach Brown really kicks into when he's playing. Yeah. Is at that moment, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's a really good track. I had... Um 
I thought off the bat the opening guitar riff, like I, it felt like something that I hadn't really heard from the Foo Fighters before. And then mm-hmm. the instrumental guitar, like the twang, comes in, and I was like, "Oh, this is an Americana influenced song." Yes. So I put the I connected the dots, even yeah. though I didn't watch episode three. <laughs> right, right, right. But this is where I was like, "This is a musical because this song reminds me so much of the Who's Tommy in so many ways." Oh. I got full. Okay pinball wizard vibes during this song i was like what is happening like there's (laughs) something going on sonically and i don't i i really don't think that that the band realized what they were doing wow like i think this was just happy a happenstance result of this exercise do you and you think that carries through through all of the songs yes whoa okay in different ways and i don't know if it's just that it's the it, the whole album to me is very theatrical because of how they're experimenting with sound and how they chose to put it together and that they're intentionally drawing influence from certain things from each of these cities. Yeah. It's just it's it's a show. But I don't think that they know that. Yeah, well I also think because of their environment because like the environment plays a yes. big role in it too. So I think mm-hmm. them just being in that environment like they're also they're playing a part. Right. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And there's actually, I don't know if it's the next song or it's this couple songs coming up where, where someone talks about the, their environment that they're in. So we can get into that. Okay. Okay, cool. Track four, What Did I Do? God Is My Witness. All right. This was the fourth single, November 6, 2014, and it features Gary Clark Jr., who's an American guitarist. He usually, he does a mix of blues, rock, soul, and hip hop. This was recorded at KLRU TV Studio 6A in Austin, Texas. That's where the long running Austin City Limits music TV show has been recorded since 1974. Uh, super embarrassing. I thought Austin City Limits was just an outdoor festival. I had no idea this was like American Bandstand. Like, I didn't know that that's what this was. Yeah. So I was so educated. This episode stood out to me like, oh, I'm learning things. Yeah. There's the festival and then there's the show that is Austin City Limits. And then you can play in the venue where they have the show but not be on the show. So there's technically three. Okay. Well, listen, I... It was news to me. I was like, okay. This feels like it's got more of a country influence. Like, we were getting a taste of it for Congregation, and here I feel it a little bit more, which I guess makes sense because we are going further south. This one, I feel like the previous songs had a more obvious lyrical tie to the essence of the city that they visited. And when I look at the lyrics and I watch the whole episode... This one feels, like, not super clear. Uh, He's using key phrases, like, he sings about 13th Floor, which is a band, an important band that they talk about. They talk, he uses the phrase flip a coin, and someone in the documentary mentions how they made an important decision by flipping a coin. But if you didn't watch that, like, it's all lost. Mm -hmm. And I'm still not even really sure, like, what they learned about Austin. (laughs) Like, like this one just feels not the strongest to me. Um, What I wrote here, though, Gabby, is this has an almost musical Broadway tinge to it bitch wait till it's my turn oh god i was thinking queen with the stops and the starts and like the different parts of the song and the second half makes me think of kisses uh god gave rock and roll to you which i friggin love that song so that song's been in my head all week uh but it's just like big and it fades out and it's like this anthemic thing overall though i thought it was just okay i think it's the weakest of the four songs so far i thought it was super creative but like not in a way that i can appreciate or that pays this felt like an exercise out of mm-hmm. all of them i was like you're just practicing something weird uh so that's how i felt nick how'd you feel about it yeah i think this is one where the lyrics don't really hit like i think they should mm-hmm. um especially like you said going back to the other three songs uh the best thing about this song for me is gary clark jr is on this on this song as a and he's to me is like an amazing guitarist and i absolutely love him and in in the episode you just see him like ripping the song and everyone's just like amazed, like, oh my God, yeah. what, like this guy's this guy's awesome. But I love the I, I love I love the back half more than the front half. Like mm-hmm. when it gets into the, you know, God is my witness part mm-hmm. and it gets really big and theatrical and like it just I don't like it, even for not connecting to the lyrics and how simple that they are, sure. like I just I feel that emotion. Like I feel it in my chest. Like I just like I love just how big and grand it gets and, and it just it, for some reason, like just as a feeling, it sticks with me. Mm. Hear me out. Okay. Rocky Horror Picture Show. 
Dude, I just went on Friday night. I know you did, and I can't believe you didn't make the connection that this song is essentially a ripoff of the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack. Um, The piano part that is, like, weirdly jazzy and poppy in the middle. I was like, what is this? Is this Chicago? Like, what are we What are we right, watching? Right. I picked up on Queen, 100%. The, yeah. the, the, it sounds like three songs in one. Like, it keeps changing. And that yeah. epic, I, I'll call it epicness of doing that in one song is very Queen to me. Very. But, yeah, this is another one where I was like, this is a musical. This album is a musical. Like, you can't tell me it's not a musical. Yeah, and, and like, this could be a closing note for me, but I'll just say it now. One of the things that kind of annoyed me, and I honestly don't know if it would have been good if they did it, I was kind of hoping or maybe expecting that each song sounded like the place. And this sounds so chaotic. This does that, not sound like Austin, Texas in any way. No, and mm-hmm. the only thing I could think of is you know, everyone is like, stay weird, right? What's the Austin thing? Like, be weird, whatever, whatever yes, that right. is. Uh, the song is weird. It's a weird one. So right. maybe in that way, maybe, they maybe, were maybe in that sense, yeah. But I was like, this is. I, I think the only sense in which it's Texas is that it was recorded in Austin and Gary yeah. Clark Jr.'s on right. it. Right. Like, like, you right. could have done that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I haven't seen this episode of the documentary, but my limited knowledge of music history in Austin is that it's not as big as a place of creation as much as it is of appreciation of music that comes in. Like, the amount of live music venues is, like, the amount of, like, music that is actually created in Austin is really limited. You would actually like it. There's there's a whole part at the end and I I had like a whole other page of notes from the documentary and then I realized like we're we're talking about the music. We're not talking about this documentary. So, I have right. all that which I'll save. But <laughs> Uh, they have a whole part where they talk about South by Southwest and how it started and what it's become. And yeah. they kind of say, like, it mm-hmm. used to be a small local thing. And now it's like, there's it's a, a Korean night. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's right. it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with you how, you know, even just Texas in general, like, like especially like for, for film too, like film also has, there's a lot of film festivals out there. So mm. yeah, it seems like Austin has become like this appreciation, like you yeah. said, more than, more than where like history is mm-hmm. for ha- certain things that were created. And yeah, the same thing with with this song it's it's the same idea of like this concept of what they're doing and like they're trying to i guess mesh their sound with like the sound i guess the place that they're at sure. and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and that's the the fault i think of this album yeah mm. yeah i agree i agree um all right track five outside Outside was the fifth single, August 4th, 2015. This one features Joe Walsh, who is an American singer, songwriter, and guitarist, member of the Eagles. And also uh, Chris Goss, an American record producer and musician. Uh, This was recorded just outside of L.A. at the Rancho de la Luna Studios in the Joshua Tree, California desert. Some bands that have recorded there include Iggy Pop, Fu Manchu, Eagles of Death Metal, Arctic Monkeys. I loved this song. From the very beginning, I think the bass line is sick, and there's a cool bookend where it starts the same way and ends the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, love the trippy, reverby vocal. He kind of did some of that on, I was thinking of you, Gabby, on the third album. There's some floaty vocals. Mm-hmm. Kind of brought me back there a little bit. I like the ooze that are happening. He doesn't really do that very much. Uh, something about this song, mostly musically, to me, best captures the vibe of this location. When I watch the documentary, they have a lot of information about, like, people who were sick of L.A. and they needed to escape, and this is where they would go, which makes sense to me with Dave, because we talked in previous episodes about he has, like, a love-hate with L.A., so he wanted to escape. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, when I hear the music, I feel like this long stretch of desert. Like, it just feels appropriate to me. Although, I love the jammy section, but I put a note, I'm worried we're going to lose Gabby. We're going to lose you in the jammy jam, because I know you hate it. I'm glad you brought it up. (laughs) But I thought he was great. I thought he was great. And I think, um, oh, and then I made a note how how these two got together. Joe Walsh uh, works with Drew Hester, the percussionist, the drummer, who has been featured on Foo albums in the past. Got it. So they had a link there, and that's how they got him on here. Um, A quote from uh, Song Facts, Taylor Hawkins uh, was quoted in a magazine saying, uh, as far as uh, the feature, what's his name? Uh, no, no. Walsh is concerned. He said, uh, we gave him a lot of space where he can really open up. If you're going to have Joe Walsh on your album, you're not just going to give him four bars. You're going to give him 40 bars and take us out to the fucking desert, man. 
So that was so that's how he saw it, which I think makes all makes sense. Yeah. And as someone who has never done a drug in her entire life, musically, I was like, I feel like you should be on acid. Like this feels like a trippy hippie vibe to me. And they talk about that a lot in the documentary, how people would go out there, drop acid, and then like record. But I was like, I get it. I get it. This makes sense to me. So that was my takeaway. Yeah, it definitely has that psychedelic rock feel to it, um, which I think I think a lot of you can attribute to, to Joe Walsh. It's funny. I also had that Taylor Hawkins quote written in oh, my notes, you? too. <laughs> I did. I did. I just thought it was hilarious. So um, funny. And then just just the idea of them recording at Joshua Tree. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen Entourage, but there's a Joshua Tree episode in season five where they go out and they trip acid. Oh, and nice. <laughs> so whenever I hear the song, it makes me think of that. Right. Um, but yeah, and then also th- just the idea of... Uh, you know, one of the lyrics, I guess, like starting something new. Mm. Uh, well, no, so it's it's like I want to get outside, baby. Let's get outside. I want to get a- outside of me, uh, and like it just had like it has like this feeling of starting something new. So there's, yeah. I think I think we can all relate to that of like you know being whether it's wherever you are, you're at in your life, you have like this urge sometimes to like just drop everything and just go somewhere else and start and start fresh and do something. So I had like that feeling listening to this. And it's funny with it being in LA because I've always wanted to become a filmmaker and make movies. So just mm. the, the idea of being in Jersey, just I've always had those thoughts of just saying, you know what, let me just quit everything. I'm just going to move out to LA and just start making movies. And that's kind of like, whenever I hear this song, that's what I think of. That'd be crazy. You'd have to do a lot of acid, apparently. I'd do yes, a lot of yeah, acid too <laughs> on top of that. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. For sure. Um, I don't know. I I couldn't pinpoint anything exactly about this song that drove me to this conclusion, but it gave me vampire vibes. (laughs) uh, It's a desert, Gabby. They can't be out there. I know. Now I hear that and I'm like, where was that coming from? I wow. got vampire vibes, and I listened to it a few times, and I was like, I still hear vampires. Spooky. So I don't okay. know what it was. <laughs> but I did, um, this was the point where I wrote, there has been a level of theatricality on this album so far that I am surprised by in a good way. Like, oh. I like that it's a little musical theater. Yes. Um The bass-driven instrumental moment, I call that out as being very psych rock yeah. I could do without it, though. You know oh, how no, I feel about I that. Oh, no, I loved it. I thought it was it. cool. It was it was great. Like, okay. great. It got get, kept getting bigger, and I really enjoyed that. But, you know, if we're going to jam, don't invite me. <laughs> I was going to say, so you're not into the Joe Walsh jammy jam? No. Yeah. No, but you know I appreciated it. I listened to just that part again today, like, thinking of you. And I'm like, I feel like I'm a pretty objective, like, is it too jammy? Let me see. And it does take a while to build up. But it's like perfection. The way he does it is so good. Yeah, it's it's because it's Joe Walsh, and if you know any Eagles songs, like that's that's what he does. Like it's that it's long, it's drawn out, but it builds yeah. and builds and builds and builds. Maybe I need, I'm not I I could name Hotel California. That's the yeah, only song I, was I just well, say. That's, 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 that's what I think of too. I, mean, I think that's, that's like, the only one I know. Yeah, and but that's yeah. also like a song that is literally just a constant build, build. of a song. You know? Yeah. yeah. Ugh, I was into it, but we lost Gabby. That's okay. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Um, track six, In the Clear. Okay, so this features the Preservation Hall Jazz Band oh, nice. uh, from New Orleans, uh, which was founded in the 1960s. They're still playing. Uh, it was recorded at Preservation Hall in New Orleans, which is really a performance area. It's not a studio, so they brought in their equipment and did it there, which I thought was really neat that they would even let them do that. The opening chorus, uh, the opening riff, and and the chorus, it's actually the same thing, uh, instantly feels like a theme song for something. Like, I thought I had heard this before, and I thought it was, like, <clears throat> the theme of a, of a TV show or something. I'll tell you where you've heard it. Oh, oh. <laughs> right now or after? After. Okay, I'm so excited. Um, Lyrically, this one is very uniquely tied to New Orleans, um, but I think they do a very good job of balancing it to have it also be openly relatable. It's a lot about coming together, starting over. One of the lyrics I pulled was, uh, there are times I feel like giving in, there are times I begin to begin again. Look outside, the world keeps spinning like a paddle wheel, rolling for the brokenhearted, waiting on the heel. I don't like the use of paddle wheel because it's like super specific and it kind of took me out of it. But the idea of waiting on the heel, I thought was just really interesting. Obviously, it's about hardships experienced uh, by locals after Hurricane Katrina. The whole documentary is uh, spends a lot of time on that, which is important. And they're talking about how, you know, in terms of the music, it preserves the culture and the community. Um, I can't hear the jazz band, though. (laughs) Like, my biggest complaint was, where are they? And I listened a few times, and in the documentary, they sound 
friggin' amazing, and it's so cool. I can't hear them in this recording at all, and I just thought it would have been nice to, like, so far, all the featured musicians are in the big instrumental break, and Foo Fighters doesn't really do an instrumental break very often, so it was obvious to me they were leaving the space for their featured guests. These songs are very long. They're, like, five to seven minutes long. Just give them a couple bars. I couldn't hear them at all, so... I, I don't, maybe I'm the only one, but I was disappointed. I wanted to hear more of them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't know what, it, where in the mix the jazz band got lost and like got lost. I don't know yeah. how that happened. Um, going back to where you said the parts that sound like a theme song, for some reason, this song reminds me of a Bruce Springsteen song. Oh, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, and it's weird because this is, this is supposed to be in New Orleans mm. and Springsteen's a Jersey boy, so I don't know where that comes from, but every time I hear this, I think of Bruce Springsteen. I don't know why. Interesting. Um, and then also them being in Preservation Hall, uh, I believe this quote was from the bassist, um, Nate Mendel. He said, it wasn't a studio. We were in, in the Preservation Hall, which seems like it's a movie set. It doesn't seem like it's a real building. So that was going back to the whole idea of you know being in your environment and just having a certain feel and where the song sort of comes from. So that yeah. to me right there says that that's how that influenced a lot of, of this album is just the environment that they were in and why this, why some of the songs sound like they do. Right. Right. Hmm. All right. Lay it on me, Gab. What is it? My chemical romance is the black parade. Stop. Wait, when did that come out? Uh, before this album. Before, before? this. Oh, Much yeah. earlier than this Much album. earlier, yeah. Uh, the Black Parade came out in 2006. I can't tell really? you which song in particular, song but there's something about this that really, I was like, this sounds like My Chemical Romance, and that, like, the beginning, the, the like, when it's just the guitar part, it's like an emo guitar opening, just those repeated chords. I was like, okay. is this an emo song and then like the way the instrumentation is like broken out i was like this is a rip off of the black parade album you are blowing my mind right now i, I have need to go back listen. and listen and to yeah, that you, yeah. you saying that the jazz band is on here i couldn't hear that either but mm-hmm. like if they're on here even in a low way then that might be what's driving my ear to the black parade because mm. the black parade is like an epic opera multi-instrumental yes. oh my god totally. amazing song Oh, my God. <laughs> and you know what? You've made the My Chem parallel in the last episode with Kyle. You mentioned it a yes. few times. Yes. Which is really kind of crazy because I thought, you know, Dave uh, is like, not maybe not significantly. I was going to say he's older than those guys. But, like, yeah. but maybe it's he such was like, like, what are the kids widely, into? It's a hugely different genre from what they're doing, yes. even though they're both in the rock world. Like, it's not at all the same. Mm-mm. And I don't know. No, I just don't know. Like, that's what I'm hearing. And I don't know if it's because, like, the Black Parade is another rock opera. It is. That album is is a rock opera. I was going to say, it is. And, like, I don't know if I'm drawing the parallels in. I have no idea. Nick, what were you going to say? So, like, jumping off of that, uh, would you, this is a little off of Sonic Highways, would you say that in the last couple of Foo Fighters albums, they've started to tweak their sound to sound a little bit more modern? Because I feel like, Mm. I feel like with, like, and, and not not successfully either. Yeah, like I think like 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 concrete and gold, which is now my don't really like that. I don't care for that album too much, but okay. like I know like a lot of the people that were part of the making of that album, it's like they try to tweak like their their sound a little bit. So I don't know if it's like mm. like you said like Dave Ooh. is like what are the kids into nowadays? Yeah, so maybe he's, I he's tweaking it a little bit. I'm not sure that he gives a shit to be honest. I, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. I think that this is just like listening and and yeah. things stick. Like I wonder yeah. if he's a My Chemical Romance. I can't imagine he's a My Chemical Romance fan, but like maybe his kids are. Like maybe oh, he's yeah, like maybe. just right. listen what are we to it. About? Maybe because it's on the radio. Like the Black yeah. Parade was all over the radio. That album was huge. Like I don't know. I don't know. Because the other influences that I've pulled earlier, like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Queen and The Who, like that is all shit that whether Dave intended to have this be the inspiration, it came out of him. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. This song is an emo song. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Gabby, I don't know if you we're going a little off here for a sec. I don't know if you checked TikTok today. Did you see the video that I sent you of the lady who basically is like, I told Dave Girl to write times like these i saw that you sent it but i didn't click it yet okay so real quick recap she she's like a fan like she he knows her by name 
Allegedly. And so she's saying how she went to go see them at like the Troubadour or something. And it was around one by one when things Mm. were falling apart and that he was doing uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Like things weren't good. And she told him like he he told her he's like, look, you better come out to Coachella because I'm playing with two bands and one of them isn't going to play anymore. Like basically telling her Foo Fighters are done. So the lady says, will you play uh, David Bowie? We could be heroes. Right. Is that the song? Is that his Mm -hmm. song? Um, She's like, that's my favorite song. Play that cover. And he's like, we can't. And he explained why it had something to do with like. They had a track, they did a track for an album, and, like, that song was on it. I don't know, there was, like, a legal reason. He was like, look, I'm telling you, like, we really can't. And she was like, all right, well, go write a song that good. And so, apparently, he left. And then we even said in that episode, when he wrote Times Like These, he was in his hotel room, he was thinking about the band, and he wrote it. But then, she plays on the TikTok a side-by-side of We Can Be Heroes and Times Like These, and the chords are, like... The, the pacing of it, I was like, holy shit. Like, he went to the hotel room, listened to that song, wrote a song pretty close to it, and I don't, I'm not giving her the credit, good for her, whatever, I don't know. No, that totally. part is neither here nor there. But what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is, it's not completely impossible that yeah. he didn't hear my chem and said, what works about this song? The rise, the fall, the right. this part, the yeah, that part. Totally. And then he wrote a song like totally. that song. Totally. Yeah, and, and Dave Grohl's also, he's a student of music, so it doesn't matter yeah. what genre or anything, exactly. he's going to listen to If it's it. a good song, he's going to be like, oh, this is good. Or if it's just a good part of a mediocre song, he's right. going to point that out. Like, How right. can I maximize this? Oh, my God. Yeah, I will say, like, <laughs> if that's true and Dave truly does know her by name, it's kind of fucked up that he didn't, like thank her her or name say was anything. tara she even had an mp3 of him saying like hey tara from the stage and i was like he really literally could have said anything like i i, I didn't hear it it was an old mp3 <laughs> but <laughs> but her story lines up it checks out and i was like that's crazy that's crazy i have to i have to watch that video yeah and i have to watch it yeah. i mean i literally just said the whole thing to you but anyway you should watch it <laughs> i'll give her i'll give her a view give her a shot I'll give, give her, her some shot. change yeah. um all right track seven subterranean Subterranean features Ben Gibbard, the American singer, songwriter, and guitarist, uh, frontman for Death Cab for Cutie, and oh, also we're the in Postal Seattle Service. Now? Yeah, we're in Seattle. Yes, okay. we're at Robert Lang Studio in Seattle. Um, they show a lot of it in the documentary, and it's so creepy. It looks like an underground castle. It does not look like a typical studio at all. And they say that that's why a lot of people like there. There's like this weird echoey thing that happens. It was the last place that Nirvana recorded. And that's where Dave recorded the first Foo Fighters record. So it's a very special place for him. Uh, Nirvana, Allison Chains, Bush, they've all recorded there. At first, I did not like this song at all. The chord choices in the chorus specifically were so unsettling and unnatural to me. I was like, turn this shit off. But I listened to it a few times and I really thought about, of course, in that part of the documentary, they spend a lot of time talking about his time with Nirvana and Kurt, the Seattle scene in general. And it kind of like grew on me a little bit. Lyrically, it is so simple. It feels too repetitive. It's also like over six minutes long. So I was kind of disappointed. You know, I was like, no. I was like, when is this over? Uh, But he does describe in the documentary, he says that Seattle is his phantom limb, which I thought was a really creepy way to describe it. What I did learn about Seattle is that the scene was basically created by the kids and the young adults who live there because nobody wanted to travel that far to play shows. It wasn't worth it. So it was all friends and hobbyists just trying out new shit for each other. I thought that was really interesting. And then it kind of exploded into this thing. Um, Towards the end of that episode, Dave says, quote, we've been to more than a few funerals. Seattle's lost a lot of great talent, but in some ways that loss has strengthened our bond. And what's really creepy is Chris Cornell is in that episode. And he talks about the scene and how they've all lost people. And then, you know, we he took his life not that long ago. Um, so it was really sad. But then even more than that, I went and I had to bootleg all these, by the way. I had to watch all of these on YouTube. I couldn't find it on HBO. I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize they're all on YouTube. They're all on YouTube. So they're like, all on YouTube. Yeah, it's great. Just watch it. It's fine. But in the comments, there were so many recent comments saying, like, this episode hits differently now that Taylor's gone. And I thought it was really interesting that a lot of people even remembered this episode specifically and thought mm. about, like, everything they were saying about friendships and music and all that. Um Song is still uber creepy for me. It's not. It's not something I would put on 
to listen to for fun. It's weird. And also, where the hell is Ben Gibbard? I guess he's just on guitar. I don't hear Dude, him in who this. cares? I know. Honestly. I was like, why? why <laughs> like, who gives a shit about where Ben Gibbard's at? I cannot, like, that band is so fucking boring. I'm sorry. I was like, what is he doing there? <laughs> of anyway. all the Seattle musicians he could have picked to collaborate with on this album, you picked Ben fucking Gibbard. Snooze. He was just home. He, they were like, <laughs> who's around? Who's around right now? <laughs> who can we call up? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, the whole thing about Taylor Hawkins, too, because he also was quoted about talking about this episode, saying how he had a dark feeling about Seattle. Mm. The song is real dark and sad. It's about the end of something. Mm. So, um, yeah, you could really feel that. But this is one where I think the episode helps the song. Yes. Because the song by itself, for me, is the most disappointing song on the album. Oh, wow. Yeah, one, I agree. Ma- ma- mainly because it's in Seattle. And Seattle is basically the grunge capital of the world, and I love a lot of bands that came out of there. Yeah. And for the, and for this song to be the way it is, I think it's just, it, uh, to me, it falls completely flat. I was I, like, I, I wanted more of like a grungy rock kind of sound to it, mm. and it just, it's not that at all. I think it's it's slow, it's slow paced. I think it's boring. Like you said, six minutes long. I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. It's so long. We're so aligned, yeah. you guys. Uh, oh, okay, I have three notes <laughs> yeah. for this song. Note number one, this is boring as hell. <laughs> Note number two, this is six minutes of mediocrity. <laughs> Uh, note number three, and here's what I may redeem this song a little bit, even though I don't like it. David Bowie in Outer Space. Space oh. Oddity. Very much near the end, okay. the instrumentation. Okay. It got very 70s in the in the guitar, in the rock, and the rock elements of yes. the song. And it, it went, to me, in a David Bowie direction, sonically. But just like the last not enough. two minutes. Yeah, yeah, not enough. Yeah, not enough. Um, but... I will say, I mean, we're saying all this shit about Seattle, and that is where I live. I don't know, Nick, if you knew that, but that I live here. <laughs> oh, that's where you Okay. Yeah. Um, and we have had one of the most amazing summers I've ever had in my life. Like, the sun is out all day. It sets at, like, 9 p.m. It's fucking gorgeous. Wow. wow. Uh, and we had a very nice October. Our first rain happened on Saturday and it will now rain from Saturday every day until June. <laughs> until we die. Jesus. Until we die is what happened. So you're saying all this shit about Seattle being kind of a bummer and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. You're like, it's coming. It's, com- it's coming. Well, actually, in the episode, someone, it wasn't one of these guys, but some local says like, it's so depressing here. There's nothing else to do but sit at home and write songs. And I was like, wow. Like, geez, it's that's definitely, a heavy place. Once, so what happens when it comes to fall and wintertime is the sun, like right now, the sun probably is setting at like six now. Mm. By the time I, we're in November, it will set at like three o'clock or four o'clock. Oh, like, oh it's I can't do that. So yes, there is a hundred percent. In those months where, like, I don't really want to go anywhere. But yeah. to be fair to myself, if I was still in New Jersey, I wouldn't be going anywhere anyway. Yeah, but it's different. <laughs> you don't want to go because, like, fuck everything else. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Whereas in Seattle, it's like, I'm sad. It's like, I can't <laughs> yeah. do anything else. Yeah, it's like, yeah. why would I leave my house to go out in the rain in the dark? R- vampires you gotta watch what you're doing out (laughs) there vampires uh serial killers yes um there's a lot of like crazy crackheads in this motel no way uh a friend of mine was just telling me that she so she goes into work like once or twice a week and she took the light rail and she had to as she was leaving the office as it was getting dark had to walk to an entirely different station because there were a bunch of people in the stairwell like just shooting up jesus which is the thing that happens because there's also not enough police here Oh wow! But we don't want any more uh, right, because right. we suck. Right. The whole it's there's like just a, it's, co- yeah. it's very yeah, it's, complicated. It's, yeah, it's, but there's a lot of homeless people here and a lot of homeless people that are on drugs and there's not really anything you can really do about it besides like avoid it. Right. Because what I'm not going to go up to someone and take a needle out of their arm. I'm not going to no. fight a homeless person. I'm just not going to do no, it. No, no. I know yeah. what that's happening. And then yeah. like it's scary when you're walking at night. When I'm walking the dog, I'm like, okay, I have to walk to the other side of the street now. There's a guy having an episode. Like, Jesus. Yikes. Not great. I'm not really no. selling it. But summer's really nice. <laughs> we had a 
had a great summer. But the summer. Yeah. You summer is where it's at. You have to come in the summer. We'll get on a boat. It'll be great. Well, let the me tell you, based set. on that alone, this song makes a lot more sense. So, uh-huh. yes. yeah. Well, yeah. I wonder at what time of year they came to Seattle to do this. Do they Not say summertime. that in the documentary? Uh, is, they didn't say. They, they no, might have mentioned yeah. it quickly, but I don't think so. If the sun was not out, it was not. No, it was gloomy. Yeah, no, sun was not out. It yeah, was not during prime time. No. So I'm I, I'm sad that this is the Seattle song, but at the same time, like that tracks. Or, yeah, <laughs> also that fitting. Tracks. Yeah, yeah. All right, track eight and the last track on this album. This is their shortest track length. Album. Shortest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a river. So this one features Tony Visc- Visconti. I think that's how you say it. American record producer, musician, and singer. And also Christine Young. I think that's how you say it. She's spelled, it's like Kristen with two E's. Mm-hmm. American uh, songwriter and pianist. It was rec- recorded at the Magic Shop in Soho. They purposely avoided a big name studio in New York City. Uh, some musicians that have recorded at the Magic Shop are Bjork, Coldplay, Cranberries, Nora Jones, uh, David Bowie, Lou Reed. So it's a pretty big deal. They make a big point in the documentary of explaining that it is super hidden. Like if you don't know where it is, you don't know where it is. And apparently David Bowie, uh, of course, I forget which album it was. He recorded an entire album there and he had been like walking up and down Soho and no one, it was like a surprise album. And to them, it was like very obvious what was happening, but that's how hidden the studio is. Nobody knew that's what he was doing. So I thought that was really interesting. What I thought was weird though, right, is they recorded at the Magic Shop, but the song was inspired by an actual river that runs underneath Electric Lady Studios in New York City. Interesting. Kind of goes against the entire point of the album. Yeah, I was like, this is disjointed. I didn't really like this song. I felt like for New York City, it's too mellow and moody. I feel like the chorus isn't chorusy enough. I think the song is a good closer for the album in terms of like, what the record was intended to do, like traveling around and finding parts of the country that connect people. So it serves that purpose. But like as an individual song, I don't think it's very good. And uh, it just, I don't know. It felt like weird to me. And also in a lot of these songs, they're kind of slow and building. And at the end, they do this big thing. And they did it on this one. But like at this point, I had heard it so many times that it didn't feel special anymore. So I don't know. I was disappointed by this. Well, it, it, it also wasn't big enough. Like when they when they finally built to it, like the song, like I thought should have more energy, and especially as a closer, like 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 to me these last two songs, like this is where the album like really like loses me. Like I think if these last two songs were stronger, mm-hmm. I think I would hold this album in a little bit higher of a regard. Um, but yeah, I, again, I was I was disappointed with this one. I think it didn't capture, you know, New York as a whole. Um, and then and then again too, just just with the idea of yeah, like the the incorporating of like the river, but them not recording where that was actually at. I was like, I don't know like, what huh? this is for. And and again, I think this is a song that also holds to where uh, Dave Roll took a lot of the lyrics from interviews and you know look and stuff that he learned at like locations and everything. So in terms of creativity, I feel like you're just pulling things from other and you're not really throwing too much of a spin on where you're pulling from. Yeah, and the, and I mean, and not Gabby, not to cut you off, but something I also didn't understand is like they must have played in New York City the most, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like think of all the places they the played. garden the most probably. This yeah. is it. Like this is what you think of when you go to New York City. I was just like yeah. bummed out. I, anyway, sorry, Gabby, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I want to call out also that there there's beautiful strings at the end, which, you know, I love, I love the string love section. String. Uh, yes, it's do. the Los Angeles Youth Orchestra, which pisses me oh, off what? because this is Wait supposed to be a New York song. This it makes, makes no sense. Cut it. It's it done. Makes no cut, sense. Absolutely cut it. Um, seven minutes, I'm exhausted. You can't do so a seven long. minute song <laughs> and then have it end like it's the ending of a Disney movie. Like, it was very, was, like, uh, like wrapped up in a bow. I mean, yeah. it's the finale. It's the yeah. closing number, right. obviously. <laughs> right. I, I don't, I didn't understand the point of this. Also, him screaming, I am a river. I was like, I thought this was, like, a Creed-inspired song. <laughs> I was like, what is this? You know what? I didn't write this down, but I thought about it, and I feel like it's a little blasphemous, but I'm going to fucking say it. I love Katie Tunstall so much, and... Her newest record is, like, not my favorite. But in she did, like, this whole trio anthology. And in one of them, one of her singles was something about being a river. And, like, I don't understand that metaphor. I, re- I literally don't understand what people mean yeah. by that. Like, you're refreshing. Like, flowing like, I don't somewhere. Like, you're uh, leaving. 
You're going with yeah. the flow, but you're I leaving. It just never connects with me. And the idea, like, I am a river, like, are you talking about the Hudson River? Like, I don't know what is happening. Hopefully, not the here. Hudson River. If he was going to do a New York song called I Am a River, it should have been about mobsters. It should have been about <laughs> bodies in the Hudson. Cement shoes, shoes with the fishes. It should have been some punk stuff. rock CBGB shit. And it was not. Yeah. Well, and in the documentary, they go into CBGBs and they go into like all these crazy punk bands. And then you come out with this song. And I was like, where were you, Dave? I just watched this whole documentary. Where were you? Ugh. Bummer. I didn't like it. Mm -mm. Oh, well, guys, we've come to the end here on this epic musical journey. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Nick, we do favorite, least favorite and your honorable mention. Which I think is a lot, given that there's only eight tracks. On it was this album. so hard. To <laughs> We're pick. gonna do it. It is hard. Okay. All right, Nick, you're up first. What's your favorite? Probably the Feast and the Famine. Okay. Uh, least favorite, Subterranean. Okay. Word. Uh, honorable mention. Probably something from nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I think that's safe. Yeah. Now I'm like rethinking all of mine. Okay. What do you this think, Kate? Sense. Favorite. I was between Feast and Famine and Outside, and I went with Outside just because it was something different. I really do like it. Least favorite, I did have subterranean, but then I changed it to I am a river because it makes me more mad. So and it's too and it's longer. So I was like, okay, you're you're the worst. That's one. fair. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Uh, and then my underdog was in the clear. I put a note, it's super corny, but it makes me feel good. I just like that one. Okay. You yeah. like the black parade, huh? I guess so. Yeah. I guess that's what it means. I don't know. Um, my favorite is The Feast and the Famine. That song okay. is a slapper. Least favorite, I'm gonna go with Subterranean, even though you make a great point that <laughs> I Am a River is also bad and longer, but I think yeah. Subterranean is worse. Wow, okay. Yeah. All um, right. At least I Am a River had like a really cute string section that I yeah, right. kind of felt yeah, like strings. a Disney princess at for a little while. Uh, Subterranean <laughs> didn't have that. Yeah. Um, and my underdog... I'm going to go with Congregation. I like the Americana influence. I thought that came through really well. Yes. Um, So, yeah. But overall, this album, I feel like, was a creative exercise and uh, is not very good. You took the words right out of my mouth. And what was really, and like in my closing thoughts for this, I had a really tough time with this because... I feel like I should have listened to them all first and then watched the documentaries and then listened again. But I was watching the documentary and then listening to the song. So, like, initially I was like, this is all bullshit. Like, all these songs are bad. This is a creative exercise. Like, this is not natural songwriting. I don't like it. But then to your point, Nick, earlier, watching, it's not necessary, but watching the documentary really gives some of the songs a deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated them more. And then I listened to them all again, and I was like, oh, this one isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. But if that's what it takes for me to decide the song isn't so bad, it's not a good song. Yeah, it's 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 the you idea know? of, like, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I agree with both your, both your points. I actually do, I enjoy this this album. Uh, it's not their strongest. That's, like, middle of the of the road for me when it comes to their, their, yeah. their discography. Uh, it's the most ambitious, and I think I love it just for that aspect. And for me, the documentary is the real gem of this project, not so much the yeah. album. I think the album is more of like the the, the result of, of their journey, mm-hmm. like going through these different you know uh, towns and listening to the music and you know interviewing and learning the history. Like that to me is where the real crux of this project like lives, and that's where it's the most like at its peak is is that um, it's it's and it, actually it's funny because it just happened with um, I don't know if you guys know Kid Cudi. He just came out with an animated movie on Netflix. Oh, and he did obviously did all the music for it, and the album again like is not anywhere near his strongest. But when you hear it in the context of the movie, it makes the album that much better. And I think that the same goes for here. I think you need to watch the documentary in order to really enjoy the album. I think that that's and and like you said, like, you shouldn't have to do that. But yeah. I do like it for that aspect. You know, like you have the other mm-hmm. albums just to listen to and enjoy and whatever. This is something new. It's something different. It's like hey, watch this sure. and then check out the music and see how it all fits together. And I guess, like, to your point, that's probably how they intend, like, they designed it I, I think that's way. how they did it, yeah. Right? It's just, like, a lot. It's a lot. Of, it is a lot. an hour. It that's is a lot. Eight hours. It is. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Especially nowadays with everything that's out <laughs> that you I have to like, watch, yeah. Can't watch The Watcher. Can't watch Jeffrey Dahmer. I gotta watch these. Can't finish House of Dragons. <laughs> yeah, can't watch House of Dragons. <laughs> My whole life was on old. All right, guys. Well, this was fun. Nick, was thank you so fun. much for joining us. This was an absolute us. blast. I loved it. 
Thanks, Nick. Oh, what, uh, thanks. Plug your podcast. What do you yeah. have going on over there? So, yeah, so we are the uh, the FN Nerds podcast. I do it with my, my roommate, Martin, and we talk movies, we talk TV, we talk all kinds of pop culture nerd stuff. Um, we're actually on a nice break right now. Uh, okay. We, cool. we were... We did it for like two and a half years straight. We did it through the pandemic. We actually started before the pandemic and then went straight through. Uh, and then when things started to, to ease up a little bit and we both went back to our full-time jobs, we were still trying to do it. And it just became so much work. So we're, yeah. we're taking a nice extended break. And I think we're going to try to come back in the new year and start nice. back up again and maybe do it a little bit. E- try to be as easy as possible because, I mean, you guys know when you, when you do a podcast – the hardest part is not this part. It's the, the no. post. It's the post. It's the editing. It's so hard. Yes. It's the cutting things and out. And Kate does it's, all of that. I yes. just have to show up on time. Yeah. There are days where I'm like, I hate this so much. And then we jump yes. on the Google Meet and I'm like, this is my favorite thing. Yes, this is the best part. <laughs> like, so, I, like, need, I need to hire somebody that just does all the post uh, stuff. Like, you, like, you just take care of this. Let me, let me do this part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But okay, so in the new year, we'll be looking for effing nerds. For sure. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. That's All great. Right, we'll love it. Well, thank you again, Nick. Yeah, thanks again, Nick. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'll see yeah, you tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I'll see you at work. <laughs> Thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, MinorNotesPodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next episode, we'll be discussing the Foo Fighters' ninth studio album, Concrete and Gold, with musician and co-host of the Keep It KFAB podcast and the guy who came up with the name of our podcast, Chris Mangan.